0: The comparison game that we have to play is the comparison game of me versus myself yesterday, versus myself last week, versus myself a year ago. How are you personally making improvements and comparing yourself to yourself before? That's, that's the game we need to play. And I think that everybody has their own audience size that's right for them, their own audience type. And when you start looking at others, it's a completely different thing. It's apples and oranges. So we, we, we got to be careful about that. I think it's okay to get inspired for sure.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Pat Flynn. If you're not already familiar with Pat Flynn, Pat is an incredible speaker, author. YouTuber, podcast host, business creator, and all-around epic entrepreneur. He also classifies himself as the world's biggest nerd and loves anything to do with Back to the Future. Pat has written multiple books, but the most recent one is a book called Superfans, which I am a huge fan of. And in the book, he talks about how you as a creator can build those superfans. Now, in my conversation with Pat, we talk about how a freelancer, like many of you guys, photographers and filmmakers out there, can build superfans even as somebody who gives out a service as a self-employed person. My conversation with Pat was extremely entertaining and super educational for myself even, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Before we get to my conversation with Pat Flynn, I wanna remind you again about PolarPro.com where you can get the most epic filters and accessories for your cameras, lenses, and mobile phones. All right, without any further ado, let's listen to my conversation with Pat Flynn. So here we are today with my good friend Pat Flynn, husband, father, owner of six businesses, advisor to several companies, professional podcaster with the podcast Ask Pat 2.0 and the Smart Passive Income podcast, author, YouTuber, and nerd. Am I missing anything here, Pat?
0: (laughs) Uh, Probably, but that was a good amount of stuff, and hopefully we just didn't overwhelm a bunch of people, but sometimes I even overwhelm myself, so thank you for that intro.
1: Of course. Uh, one of the things that really uh, is attractive to me about like, obviously, I pulled a lot of that from your site and from your, your YouTube channel. And I'm a, I'm aware of a lot of the things that you do. But I feel like even if you're a Pat Flynn fan or, or follow you, you might be surprised to see how many things you're involved in. Um, it's pretty incredible what you've been able to achieve achieve over the last decade and even since I've known you uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Caleb Wojcik uh, who Mm -hmm. you and him co-created SwitchPod and to see how SwitchPod uh, and and that whole business has grown it's been really fun to watch that journey and actually to be a part of it I kind of helped out with some of the video uh, for that and it was a lot of fun so um, crazy to see just all the things that you're involved in man and uh, way to go (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who just loves to try and experiment and, um, fail a lot to get progress. You know, I think failure is an important part of the process. I talk a lot about my failures on my blog, but every time I fail, it's a new learning experience. And I, I just like to try new things and, and see, see what gets me going. you know, in this project with Caleb, the switch pod, which is this versatile handheld tripod that has kind of gone viral and it's done really well. We're actually very close to getting into Best Buy now, which is pretty cool. I don't know if you heard about that. Very cool. No, I didn't. um, Thank you for the help and the videos and the testimonials and what you've done to help kick that off. It was definitely creator led in terms of, you know, Caleb and I are both creators ourselves, uh, Caleb being a videographer, myself uh, uh, a content creator on multiple platforms, but uh, it was the feedback from the video community and the YouTubers who really helped shape it literally and help it get out there and and people from Peter McKinnon to, you know, several others have had their hand on it. And it's just, it's just been really neat. And, you know, and that's why I do what I do. I just love to help people in all different kinds of ways. And I'm just always trying to figure out how to do that more and do it better.
1: Well, if you're not familiar with Pat Flynn, I would encourage you guys to check the show notes of this podcast. We're going to link his website and some of the things that we talk about. Obviously, if you love podcasts, I would highly recommend the Smart Passive Income podcast, as well as the Ask Pat podcast, which you're active on on a weekly basis. Both are incredible. Um, But this audience in particular, we're talking to content creators, filmmakers, and photographers specifically. And because we're in this niche, and because a lot of us are freelancers and have been working in you know live events, weddings, travel shoots, and things like that, because of COVID nineteen, there's been a huge restriction on the amount of work that we can do. Obviously, mm-hmm. now we're you know h- half a year into this, and people have learned to uh, to morph and to figure out ways to be creative with that. But for a freelance filmmaker or photographer, what are some of the things that that you would like to kind of raise awareness of on on how to continue their income and how to maybe think outside the box of um, making, you know, smart passive income as a (laughs) freelance photographer in the COVID age. Yeah. I mean,
0: the name smart passive income, obviously passive income is often has this connotation of, you know, you're sitting on the beach and money just comes in automatically. and it's, (laughs) It's very much not that. It's essentially the last step of a whole number of things you might need to do to Get a business running, have things happen on a more automated fashion, whether it's software doing a lot of the work for you or even a team that you build behind you to help more people. The passive income part is the last of it. But what it really comes down to, and, and with anything really, is your audiences or your, your earnings are really a byproduct of how well you serve people. And that's, that's kind of what I live by. And there's many different ways to serve people. And, and w- what worked before when we were able to meet together and, and hang out together and have clients that you could meet in person and, and, and you know, film their weddings and shoot their weddings and whatnot. I mean, things are different now, obviously. But I also love to, to have people you know, wonder, well, what does this make possible? You know, COVID and the pandemic is absolutely terrible, but it's also done a number of things to help either A, slow some people down to consider, well, what is important? Or, you know, if things were to get crazy, what might I do instead and start experimenting with new things? For me in particular, it's definitely helped me slow down and travel less so I can be more with my family and, and raise a new puppy and we have two kids and better focus on their education here at home with them. And for other people who may once have had clients uh, you know, in person, I, I see a lot of people now doing things that they've always wanted to do but they just didn't have a reason to, and that is get online, build that online persona, build that brand, build that trust – which is really cool because when you have that audience, you can kind of take them wherever you want and wherever they want, and it becomes this really cool uh, way that you can serve people, not just one-to-one, but perhaps one-to-many, or perhaps you create a product or something that can be served to many people even while you sleep, whether it's an online course or a coaching program or, or something like that. There's just so many more opportunities, so the big question is, well, what does this make possible for you? Let's not think about this as, oh my gosh, what was me, but wow, what does this open up for me now? And this definitely ties back into my story, having gotten laid off from the architecture industry in 2008, I had planned on being an architect for the rest of my life, was doing everything I could, and then all of a sudden in 2008, getting let go, even though I was doing everything the way I was supposed to. But that opened up my eyes to this world of online business, and I uh, developed a program to help architects pass an online exam. And that exploded. I I had generated over uh, $250,000 within a year with that business, and then A lot of people started asking me how that was done. And of course, I didn't go to business school. I went to architecture school. I just kind of was figuring things out along the way and getting involved with people who were very helpful and involved in communities and investing in my education in that. And then Smart Passive Income came about to teach people for free how I was able to do that. And I've just been revealing everything and sharing the wins, failures, uh, projects all along the way. And you've mentioned a bunch of them, but... Really, it's about just serving people, and people need to be served still, just in a different way now, and how might you be able to use your talents to support them?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think back on uh, the kind of infamous story, I don't know if you've heard of it, of Steven Spielberg when he was making the movie Jaws, and how the the robot shark kind of wasn't, it wasn't working the way he was expecting it to work, and apparently they mm-hmm. weren't able to get some of the shots that he had. And so because of that, the the cinematography of the film ended up kind of hiding the shark, to because literally the robot wasn't working but in in turn like because of those limits uh, limitations he was thinking more creatively as a filmmaker and it turned out to be a more effective way to convey fear and to, to get people scared of the shark by having that kind of lack of visual of the shark itself. But it was literally because the shark sucked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it like a rusted out or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the full story. I just know the the basic concept of it. But, um, right now, like you said, you, people are getting super creative. I have a friend of mine who is a, he's a director and he's doing live stream productions now for in Hollywood. And he's, he's doing like uh, stuff for late night and all these different people. And he just, mm-hmm. he built like a, a truck with a live stream setup using cinema cameras. And, um, That's you dope. know, you just have to pivot and kind of like figure out how to make it work. Like the people who are just moping around still, um, you know, they're going to be left behind when things like this happen. Like when you get laid off as an architect and that's been your whole life's goal. And then all of a sudden you have to figure Mm -hmm. out how to, how to do it. And you've, you've done that yourself, even recently with the income stream, your daily morning YouTube show. Um, Can you talk about that and how that has affected you as a creator over the last six months?
0: You know, when, when the pandemic sort of happened and the lockdowns kind of went in place back in March of 2020 here, uh, I knew that I had a large audience that needed help. And I knew my story was very relevant because I had gone through a tough time in and in a layoff as well. So I wanted to show up and I just was like, hey guys, one day I'm going to go on YouTube and, and you know, I'm going to go live tomorrow. Whatever questions you have, I'm happy to answer them. And I just went live and there were hundreds of people who showed up who were asking questions and so many people needed help. I could see and feel the fear in the room and what was going to happen. Nobody really knew, but I was like, okay, well, there's one thing I know uh, we can do. Um, We can come back tomorrow and just kind of continue this conversation. And the two days in a row turned into a week in a row, turned into a month straight, turned into a hundred days straight, turned into uh, today was day 239 in a row getting on YouTube. And that's done a, a number of crazy things. Number one, to be able to start the day of service to my audience, and to just know that I'm still connected to them, to see them, to get direct feedback, to answer their questions, it, that that is driving me. That's providing me a ton of energy. And as soon as I hang up with them, and this is live on YouTube in the morning, uh, I'm I'm pumped for the rest of the day. Like I just get a boost of energy from them, and it's a direct connection to my why, and I and I love that. Um, number two, they've formed this community such that I mean. There are names that I know now by, by heart. I've befriended them. They show up. They uh, have partnered with each other. They have befriended each other. They even created their own Slack community without me even knowing it. They're just like, hey, we should c- like continue this conversation after. And now every day after the live stream, they go into the Slack channel and they hang out with each other. And people have supported each other. Some people <laughs> awesome. have been able to save Others who are in the group, uh, I'm not going to get into those details, but it's been pretty emotional at times. And they wow. they formed their own name. They're the Corn Team is what they've called them. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> which is pretty cool. And that That's like – I actually, in fact, wrote a book called Superfans. And one thing that I talk about in my book, Superfans, is like if you want to build an audience, you need to create a space for your audience to meet each other because superfans are built not from necessarily the direct connection to you but the direct connection people have with the common item being you with each other like think about a sports game right you're sitting in the stands your home team hits the grand slam and you're high-fiving you're hugging this is pre-covid obviously like people around you who you don't even know but they're wearing the same brand on the ball cap so you know that they're in it with you right and so the community can support each other and of course support the team too and that's sort of what's happening with the income stream the other cool thing about this is i've gotten really good at live streaming i have my whole setup with my Ecamm Live is what I'm using to go live. Uh, that's a software. I have four cameras. I'm able to use my Elgato Stream Deck to live, switch between camera angles. I have sound effects from my Roadcaster Pro, so I have some Primo audio to go along with it. And just getting better and learning and failing and making mistakes, I've been able to now, I'm getting invited to because I can't speak in person anymore, I get invited to speak virtually on stages. I've done a few keynotes over the past few months across different channels. And I bring my live streaming sort of multi-cam components into it, and it blows them away, dude, like blows them away <laughs> a bit, a because bit, everybody yeah. just sees these normal Zoom calls where it's just one camera. Well, I have four cameras, sound effects, some GIFs that show up. I have this one thing where, like, I press a button, it zooms in, and it go- it does, like, the surprise sound, like, boom, like, surprise it, like interrupts their pattern dude There's, there, like I've gotten so many comments and people are like teach me how to do this and it's like I just get I just nerd (laughs) out just like all of you (laughs) yeah exactly I just I nerd out on on all this equipment like you guys and it's just I'm using it in my own way and I think that again just being creative with where are people needing help right now and how can I show up for them? That's like half the battle, right? And then of course, listening and providing value and supporting them. And this has directly impacted my bottom line. I have members there. So on YouTube, you can collect members and I have, you know, four or 500 members there who are paying monthly just to support. I like, they they don't get anything else other than some community posts and they want to support. So that's kind of cool. But in addition to that, I'm earning trust. I'm showing up, and providing value. And now when I come out with a course to sell, in fact, we just released a new course about how to do, webinars online. Um, In the first two days, we sold over $66,000 worth of that course. Several of those people having gone and watched me live and just going, hey, I can finally pay you back now. This is awesome. So it does directly impact the bottom line as well.
1: Yeah, I saw a meme that you made. uh, I think I saw it on your Twitter account, um, but I'm pretty sure it was an Instagram story, but it was like you was it you and yourself playing poker against yourself yeah. uh, i think um yeah. but yeah that was clever but uh one guy had you know like a million followers on uh tiktok and you know 100,000 yeah 100,000 on youtube those were the chips but then you combat that with like naming people by name and profession and actually having a relationship with those people and and knowing mm-hmm. those people and you know you, what were some of the examples that you shared you know it was just like Yeah, like Uh, Manos from
0: Greece. He just got his MBA. Another uh, woman who just, her YouTube channel just blew up. She's a lawyer and she's like uh, taking these really cool pop culture uh, attorney papers and like Uh just making them easy for people to understand. Dude, it's all about the people, right? I think especially if you're on YouTube or you're a podcaster, you're always looking at your numbers, right? And the numbers are important, the analytics, we want it to grow, but each of those viewers each of those subscribers are a real human being and i think that one thing that i want to pass on to your listeners that that really affected me when i first started that gave me some hope that gave me this idea that this was possible is this article that was written in 2006 it was titled a thousand true fans and this is actually something that inspired my book Superfans. and it was written by the chief uh, editor senior editor at wired magazine and his name is kevin kelly and this article a thousand true fans essentially the thesis is you don't need a blockbuster hit you don't need a million views you don't need a million subscribers you just need a thousand true fans a true fan being defined as you know for us somebody who watches every video the moment it comes out they drop what they're doing to watch it right or if you come out with a product they don't even read the sales page they're buying it if you are a musician they're going to drive 8 hours to hear your set and then wait for you backstage to get an autograph and a selfie that's that's a true fan get a thousand of those because if you imagine A true fan supports you with $100 a year. That's less than $10 a month. I mean, I'm a super fan of things that I pay thousands of dollars for, stupidly, but because I'm a fan. So less than $10 a month, right? A 1,000 true fans times $100 a year is a six-figure business, and that's achievable. And when you want to bring this down to brass tacks, that's one fan a day for less than three years, one fan a day for less than three years. So you can go relationship. You can go personal. And you can build that fanship such that you don't need to worry about building the next Uber or fidget spinner or whatever. Just find your core group of people because your vibe, be yourself, show up. Your vibe will attract your tribe. And and, and treat those people like gold. They're going to treat you like gold. And you have this fanship that can support you in the life that you want. And you can be happy mm. without overextending yourself.
1: Totally. It's it's amazing, I must say, kind of like off our conversation here, that it's so great to interview interviewers. I've interviewed, you know, I'm interviewing you, I interviewed Tyler Stallman, I've interviewed Sarah Dietschy, and it's always funny when I interview somebody that's used to interviewing, like you're giving me all the things that I was going to ask for. <laughs> like, so I'm already like, I have all my notes here, and you're literally ticking them all off before I even ask them. Um, but that's one of the things I wanted to bring up, and in, in, in specific about your income stream, and this is getting into the kind of the nerdy details of it, I notice you're getting an average of about three to 5,000 views per stream. Uh, you probably have 2,000 people that are just instantly going to watch it no matter what. And mm-hmm. that... But then you look at like your most popular videos, you got a couple, you know, you got the podcast one that has like a million views. You got a couple other ones that, you know, are high 700, 800,000 views. And you could like sit around and try to come up with concepts and ideas for YouTube videos that are going to go viral like those other ones. But the strategy you've gone for is you're getting consistently at least two to 3,000 views a day every day. That adds up to be millions of views over time. And like you're saying, to have that baseline of two, 3000 people that are just there every day, no matter what, that is really more valuable than a couple of videos on your channel that crack a million views. Yeah.
0: Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, that's so true. And thank you for pointing that out. You know, I have a video. It's interesting. My most popular video is 1.5 million views. It's how to create an awesome slide deck. Like I take you and I show you how to do slides, right? Which I'm really good at. But that's not what I want to become known for, and I'll tell you, like most of the you don't people want to be the slide it, deck guy.
1: <laughs> I don't want to be the
0: slide deck guy, right? I don't want to. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but I'm really good at it, and I share that video to help people. Yeah, and people come there and they 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 come in through keywords like keynote presentation, PowerPoint presentation, right? Which is really awesome that I can get in front of people. But then it's like I help them, and and, and then and then they get what they need, and and they're gone, and that's cool. But they're not the core people who need me, right? I'm, I'm glad I'm able to help them. If, if they want to learn more about my business, then great and build their business of their own. That's fantastic. And it has provided a number of subscribers. It has provided some people who have found me through that channel. I think it's important to have a bunch of arms reach out and, and, and attract people for different things, of course. But when it comes down to it, You need the core message, the core group of people to be very well-known, to be very thought out so that it's just very clear, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is who I do it for, and this is the end goal for these people. If you don't fit that, then please don't waste your time here. You can go find somebody who makes sense for you, right? I think this comes down to this idea of, especially if you're a creator, it's like, we of course, as creators, want to have everybody see our stuff. Like Ideally, if you could have... The seven, eight billion people in this world see our stuff. Like that would be a dream, but is it though? Like you can't please everybody, and by trying to please everybody and 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 create something for everybody, you're actually helping nobody, right? It's when you take a stand. It's when you say this is who I'm, who who I'm for, and and you you find those core people who are going to stick with you for good. Because most of the people who find that video with 1.5 million views are in and out. And I do get a little ad revenue, which is cool, but I get way. I have I have people who have paid tens of thousands of dollars as individuals to get access to my stuff to come to my events to get coaching from me and their lives have changed as a result too and that's pretty cool everybody can win i think
1: i think your strategy and everything you're talking about it's so um how do i say it like a lot of people don't hear this message i think it's so important for people to hear it because It's so easy for us, you know, in our community, I guess, Peter McKinnon, Casey Neistat would be kind of the two, Mm -hmm. you know, like unicorns on YouTube um, that are filmmakers and Peter in particular, because he is more technical, you know, photography and video related. And yet he's crushing it and getting millions of views, millions of subscribers. That's what everybody points to as like, this is the metric of like, this is the goal. I want to hit this. You know, and and then now, like Peter's been doing this for a couple years now. If you just go on YouTube and search for any type of camera related thing, it's almost shocking how many new YouTubers I'm seeing that have like the exact same style, the exact <laughs> same set. You know, it's like uh, wood paneling everywhere. Coffee B-roll shots. You know, it's Man. like people begin to clone one another uh, and clone those successful things because they see he's doing this. So I need to do that too. So that I can right. be like that.
0: What's up Pat Flynn here. Thank you for joining me. It's like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's not going to work. Exactly. Right? Uh, yeah. What do you have so to true, say about dude, that? Like,
1: like people just get wrapped up in the looking at the best of the best Marquez Brownlee, you know, all these people that are doing the things that they like, I truly want to be doing what Marquez is doing or whatever. They might have honest, you know, goals there. Um, What's, what do you have to say about that? Like, cause people are going to just follow what they see. How can they really, I don't know, just retrain the, themselves to maybe th- think more. I mean, you just have to be more yourself, more unique and, and build your super fans is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. I mean that, that, and, and of course it's hard in the beginning cause you don't know what people will be attracted to you for. And the more you show up though, the more that you can eventually find out that answer. And I found out for me, for example, that you know, first of all, I'm not the first person to talk about building businesses online. I'm not the first person to teach people how to podcast. But I do know that people come to me because I take very technical things and make them easy. That's number one. But number two... Within this space, especially with regards to other entrepreneurs, you see people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's hustle, 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 right? And then you see people like Tim Ferriss, who's just like a lone wolf, who's biohacking and doing all these fun things. And then you see these other people who are in their Lamborghinis and in front of their mansions and doing business on the beach and stuff. It's like, but that's not me. I could copy them, but that's not who I am. My (laughs) Lamborghini is a 2012 Toyota Sienna, right? A soccer mom van because... (laughs) It is really handy when you have two young kids. Trust me. I oh, know, and I, I, know. I know you I've know got
1: too. A, <laughs> I got a, I just bought an Odyssey a couple months ago, and we're loving it nice. on the Odyssey. So. Nice. Rocking I do have to say, though, I,
0: I, I did reward myself with a Tesla Model Y recently, so that's been really nice. <laughs> I saw but, that. Yeah, how—
1: yeah, that's it's great. Awesome.
0: It's awesome. And and you know, we run on solar too, so we're, I'm I'm definitely about the environment. And in fact that uh that test that I helped people pass in the architecture space was about environmental design and stuff, so that's kind of cool. But anyway, getting Pretty a little cool. sidetracked here. You know, people don't <laughs> follow Peter because he has the best tutorials. He makes great tutorials. But you know when you get a Peter McKinnon video, you're getting Peter McKinnon and in, uh, just like a year and a half ago, he even came out with a video that was like, you know what? I'm just going to do me. I'm going to create videos that are more me. And guess what has happened ever since he's done that? His channel grown. has 2x'd, right? <laughs> yeah. Because he finally mm. discovered what people actually like. And they like the way Peter is. And more of him has been showing up in these videos. And he's acting silly in front of a green screen and hiring people on Fiverr to create other things to go on top of it. It's just like full-on silly, crazy, cool Fun Peter. Casey, same thing, right? He used to do all these tech videos. He used to review camera gear. And then all of a sudden, you know what? He started just blogging about whatever he was wanting to blog about and vlog about whatever he was wanting to vlog about, right? And yeah. now he's in LA and all these cool things are happening. And, you know, he's back in, in the in the vlogging space. But, you know, of course, he's just doing well, what he wants now.
1: But he's earned well, let me the right to this. do that. Well, that's yeah, that's exactly the point that I was going to drive home is like before Peter was doing this, he was doing tutorials and that's how he was getting found is because people were searching those things and then they get hooked on it what if that's a like if i'm thinking about this as a filmmaker who wants to get into youtube for example um what would be the strategy then just to like is there a certain metric or a certain point where you feel like you can kind of flip that switch and you know, once you get that thousand super fans, then you can can go for it and not think so much about showing up in search algorithms and just hmm. doubling down on uh, on your content and just being yourself. Because like there, you're not going to get discovered point. per se by only just making vlogs, right?
0: No, I mean Casey started to go big when he did that, and, and he was big before this. But you know, the thing that put him on the map, at least for a lot of people, was when he did that video about bicycles in new york right yep. and that that put him on the map and there were some in other things that in the nike video was huge yeah and, and you know of course he's got this amazing these amazing credentials coming from a show with his brother on hbo and like all these other things but you have to earn that and it takes time and i think that you will you will know you'll feel that gut feeling where you can just kind of do things on your own i think a lot of creators also get to that point where they're just like you know what I am exhausted. I just want to do stuff that, <laughs> that, that, that makes it fun again because that's how it was in the beginning. Tutorials and things like that can be fun, but I think the big solution is you need to go, okay, number one, you have to provide value. If you're just going based on personality and nobody knows who you are yet, that's not enough, right? We have to provide value in some way, shape, or form. It can come in three forms, one, education, two, motivation, and three, entertainment. If you can somehow mix those three things in there, great, that's that's a good start. But at the same time, you're not the only one to do those things likely. So you have to answer or excuse me, fill in the blank to this. Yes, people come to me for this, but they stick around because blank. Why do they stick around? And what about you? And typically that's what I'd recommend. They stick around for, the, for you. They come for the content, but they stay for the connection. It reminds me of my friend, uh cliff ravenscraft he's a podcaster he's he's actually one of the one of my podcast mentors from back in the day he started a podcast on the show lost like when lost mm. was a show <laughs>
1: yes he yeah.
0: and his wife stephanie would come out after every episode and like just talk about their theories and what would happen next and of course doing that for so often he built this fan base and his fan base mm. was really cool because they in fact in the finale of the entire series dozens of people flew to go to Stephanie and Cliff's place to watch the finale together. It oh, was wow. like this community that was formed. <laughs> That's fun. Right? Which is pretty cool. But then guess what? The show ended. And it was a terrible ending, by the way. But it this was. show ended and there was no more podcasts, <laughs> right? So what are we going to do? Well, he started another show and another podcast, two, two podcasts. And guess what? Most of his listeners who followed him, initially because he was creating Lost Theories, ended up following him on his how to use a Mac uh Uh, like some Mac support podcast that he had and another one about he and Stephanie's life. They followed him there and have since followed him from that initial thought because people came for the content, but they stayed for the connection with Cliff and Stephanie and the community that was surrounding that. And so this is just another example of you gotta gotta find value somewhere to start offering value. But then once people are there, why should they stick around? And guess what? Nobody is like you. You are 100% original. If there was ever one thing that you could use to your advantage that nobody else has, what is it? It's you. And a lot of times we're so afraid to put ourselves out there because we're weird or we're a little bit nerdy or whatever. But you know what? It's that that makes you unique. And I remember my son came home from preschool one day, and he was crying. And I was like, why are you crying? And he's like, well, my, my friend, I thought he was my friend. He called me weird. And he was upset about Aww. that. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> you are weird. And he was like, what? And I was like, you're weird. I'm weird. I'm weird. Your sister's weird. Your mom's weird. Don't tell her I said that. But we're all weird, and that's what makes us special. If you were just like everybody else, then you wouldn't be my son. And mm. he was like, really? I, I guess that makes sense. And, you know, I try to instill these lessons to my kids when they're young, but I think he got it, right? It's like I want, I want them to be weird because that's what makes them unique and different, and, and everybody listening to this is weird too, right? Like you and I had a chat about some fun little project that we might be working on at some point <laughs> yeah. before, and that's super weird. But that's and, what uh, makes us cool and connect.
1: Yeah, and you and I uh, were in marching band, so we're super weird, <laughs> dude. We had no game back in the day because right. of how we,
0: would, we were.
1: But you know, we found the right the right one eventually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard I heard that in one of your videos recently. I was like, oh, what did you play in marching band?
0: Uh, the trumpet, and then I even so the one of the main reasons why I went to UC Berkeley to Cal mm. was because mm-hmm. my band director in high school. Went to Cal also, and uh, I followed in his footsteps, and I became the student director of the University of California marching band, and I got to oh, meet wow. people like Aaron Rodgers when he was playing football at Cal, and like Marcus uh, Marshall yeah, Lynch and all awesome. these people. Dude, it was so it was yeah. so dope. It was so dope. So yeah, as nerdy as far. marching would... band was, it's like it provided a lot of opportunities for me.
1: <laughs> I played uh, clarinet and then bass clarinet uh, for the first two years of high school, and then I quit because I started doing magic uh did you know i was a magician i, I did I, yeah i, I, I saw
0: yeah. you do magic at um NAB, nab or something yeah
1: yeah yeah so i once i started doing that i was like oh wait a minute i can get girls with this Great. <laughs> <So. Right? laughs> like, no not number? really just
0: kidding i already have it magic <laughs>
1: yeah. i will say uh it did work that's how i met my wife she was a hostess and i was doing magic at the restaurant uh that she was working at and that's how we met so Dude, it, was, legit. it was magic
0: Was there one trick that, like, reeled her in?
1: Yeah, she – I hate that I don't remember because I was performing for, you know, at least 50 to 100 people a night every week. So I don't remember the day, but she obviously remembers it. Um, And she tells me that I asked her if she had a phone, and she wasn't allowed to have a phone yet because we were both teenagers at the time. She was still – she was only 17 when we met, and her dad didn't let her have a phone. And so – I, like, made a joke, like, kind of made her feel bad for not having a phone. I'm like, what? You don't have a phone, you know? (laughs) And so (laughs) she handed me a salt. Yeah, exactly. So she handed (laughs) me a salt shaker instead, and I took a balloon, uh, and I jammed the – I blow up the balloon, and then I – push this salt shaker into the balloon at, like through magic and then you open it up and it's inside the balloon and i usually do it with a phone but because she didn't have one i used a salt shaker Nice. so that's the one that she remembers because i made her feel bad for not having a phone <laughs>
0: nice nice but that's a cool story thank you for sharing that
1: oh oh you're so welcome yeah that's so on topic too um uh, so <laughs> i'm embracing my weird um so, super fans, it's, it's something that you've you've brought up a couple times here. It's a book that you've written, and it's available now on Amazon. Link in the show notes below, of course. Plug, plug, plug. Um, but I, one thing that I notice with your stuff is I see stuff in all of your videos, I, especially recently. I see Star Wars helmets. I see an Iron Man helmet. Um, mm-hmm. The first line in your website banner says, number one, Back to the Future fan. Tell me about Superfan and why you embrace these nerdy things like is that intentional for you to put that out there right there front and center
0: it is it is um when I started my architecture business online you know it's helping people pass an exam right not the like most super sexy thing in the world to do but when I started helping people I started getting emails who were from people saying like hey thank you you helped me out and they were even calling me by name that was interesting because even at work in architecture we never really got thanked for the hard work that we were doing and here I was helping people pass an exam and people who I didn't even know were like thank you Pat you've you've helped me you helped me get a raise you helped me get a promotion and there was one woman in particular who sent an email who said oh Pat you helped me out I've been able to get a promotion I can now finally finally go on a trip uh, with my family to Disneyland we're going to celebrate like we'd love to meet you and I was like well this is a little creepy because I have no idea who you are so you know stranger danger number one but number two like That was really cool. And at the end of her email, she said, thanks, I'm a big fan, Jackie. And I was like, a fan? Like, what? That doesn't, like, I don't understand. And I just kind of let it go. But then three months later, I noticed that when I was checking my customer list, 25 people from the same firm that she was at had also purchased my study guide. And I reached back out to her, I'm like, hey, so what's going on? She's like, Yeah, I told everybody at the firm to to go download your book. I'm just again so thankful. It's the least I could do. And I was like, Oh my gosh, one person helping this one person out who said they were a fan contributed to like twenty-five additional sales. And that's when it hit me. I was like, Wow, you don't need to be a musician or an artist or a magician to have fans. You just have to show up and help people. And so I really embraced that and I and I went forward with that. And now I have fans all over the world and You know, people who send me, like, crazy things, Uh, and, and, and of course, I'm a big fan of things as well. I'm a big fan of Back to the Future. In fact, the day that we're recording this, Dave, November 12th, 2020, November 12th is an important date in Back to the Future history. I don't know if you know, because that's the night that the lightning hit the clock tower. And huh. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the shirt I was wearing before we went audio only, but it says save the clock tower. Like, I am wearing a shirt to commemorate November 12th. Amazing. <laughs> I, I am that big of a fan of Back to the Future. I, in fact, hired a DeLorean driver from rentadelorean.com, which is a real thing. And I filmed a little video. Many of you who are listening might appreciate this because th- there's a really, it's really long well story. Made. Thank you. I I filmed a little three-minute short that I wrote myself. It was actually filmed on a Panavision camera, the same cameras that were filmed with Back to the Future, and it was actually on the same parking lot that Back to the Future was filmed. No way. The whole whole idea of this was, you know, there's a little behind-the-scenes of it on YouTube, too, if you want to check it out. But uh, the whole idea was in this little short film, I would get into a DeLorean, drive at 88 miles per hour, disappear, and then I would show up in Las Vegas on stage – In the DeLorean, Uh which is what happened. (laughs) So I brought a DeLorean on stage. I had to rent two of them. And I started a presentation about how to future-proof your business. And this was the 30-year anniversary of Back to the Future. It was in um, 2015. And you
1: were also rocking the Nikes as well.
0: I was. I have the Nikes. They're not authentic. They are uh, fake. But... (laughs) Well, you didn't want to pay fifty grand for him? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And the jacket and the hat and the hoverboard, all this stuff. Anyway, when you're a fan of something, you go crazy with it, right? But you can also get fans too. And you have to earn them though. Fans aren't created overnight. They're created by, like I say, the moments you create for them over time. It takes time. And unfortunately, especially in the space I'm in with online business, people want to go – first of all, they want results faster. But people – especially in the space I'm in, are very much in this idea of, a, of what's called a funnel, like funnels run businesses, meaning you get a whole bunch of people watching your videos or coming to your website. Some of them, maybe they'll join your email list. Some of those people on your email list, maybe some of them are gonna be interested in a product. So they go to the sales page. Some of those people who go to your sales page, maybe they become customers. And the cool thing is, with relation to passive income, you can automate a lot of that. So it's a funnel, right? A large amount of people funneling down into the customer list. But unfortunately, when it comes to fans, that's not that's not how you get fans because when you automate the whole thing, you miss out on the opportunity to make these connections and to create these moments and to make people feel special, like they belong to something. Because when you do that, that's when people come back and they don't just come back alone. They come back with more people. So if you want to grow your business, instead of paying for ads and worrying about search engine optimization. I mean, that stuff is important. I say, you know what? Let's focus on where most of the engagement is happening already within your current user base from the people who show up continuously and helping more people understand why they need to do that because they're going to bring new people in warm and that's going to grow up your business from the inside. And that's what this book helps you do. How do you actually create those moments? That's that's kind of what we talk about in the book.
1: So one of the things that I have always had to kind of adjust in my mind is the is the perspective of a freelance uh filmmaker in my case or you know uh, some of our listeners are photographers as well Mm -hmm. our product would be a service our product is not a a tangible you know here buy my you know hire me to you know paint your house or um whatever like I've always had to kind of – the business books that I've read in the past, it's usually written for people who maybe are selling clothes or shoes or whatever, like an item. How mm. can people who are listening to this who are – can relate to what I'm saying as a freelance filmmaker and photographer, how does that fit into getting fans and having other people – I guess it. one thing that I can think of off the top of my head is I've shot over 300 weddings in my career. I shot one girl's wedding and then – I pretty much got all of her bridesmaids' weddings as well <laughs> yep, <laughs> from that's that. That's where I was going. Referrals. Yeah. So yeah, it's referrals. Yeah. So can you share just with, with our listeners some uh the, the freelance perspective of that?
0: Yeah. I mean if I was a freelancer, I would want to make the experience for my individual client so great that they would feel like that they were stealing from me like they would want to have to do more to make up for all the things that I've done for them. And this is where you get that referral business from. The other part about this that like beyond freelancing, which is definitely something that takes time obviously. I mean, there's many ways to scale a freelancing business. You can only scale yourself to a certain point because you a only have so much energy and b only have so much time. So you can do a number of things. Number one, the more you do of the more you do something, the better you get at it. You definitely should be increasing your prices at some point if you haven't already. This will allow for more revenue to come in, but also higher-end clients that would likely appreciate more and be more likely to share with other high-end clients because high-end clients kind of hang out with each other sometimes plus they'd likely be interested in some of the upsells that you have upsells are key there could be some things that you could do for those who can afford it that you can't do for everybody else but that little extra special care or a little extra special package yeah. or whatever it might be can be a Bring great way a to drone add... operator yeah. exactly <laughs> right with the same clients that you would have had already just offering other things that they may find interested in and of course wedding totally. day huge day A lot of brides and grooms are spending a lot more than they should. So you can make them feel special and give them more value back for that. Um, C, there's also this idea of what's called productizing. This is a big keyword in the world of freelancing that a lot of people who don't know business don't talk about. And if you look this up, productize, it means taking the thing that you offer and turning it into a product. Now, you can't productize a wedding shoot, but you can make it – a little bit easier on yourself, and scalable, scalable to a point where maybe it's not just you doing the work now, but you have an agency, you have a team of shooters instead that can go out to some of these projects to, uh, for for maybe you you keep the high-end clients at the higher rates, and you can start building your business and sharing some of that revenue with photographers and shooters that go out for your normal clientele, and thus taking some of that time off your hands, helping other photographers get their career going, and all those kinds of things. But productizing means, okay, instead of one-to-one, Dave, you're getting married. I'm going to come and we're going to have a meeting and we're going to talk for two hours about your ideal wedding and everything that you want and we're going to make it special and white glove personalized, everything, right? Like this is the high-end white glove service for you. Well, productizing means, okay, Dave, all right, here are three individual packages that we offer. Which one is best for you? So the customization requirements are less opportune, but based on the work that you know you do, you know that there's essentially three levels of things that you could offer. And now these things could become packaged. Now when a person uh, gets package A, you you know exactly how much time that's gonna take because you've done package A before. And it's just something that you kind of like preset how much time it's gonna take, what's all involved, the team that's involved, how, much, how many photos, how many, all of this. And now you can start to actually build your business a little bit smarter because you have some numbers and some data to go behind it versus what a lot of freelancers do is just like, all right, I have a client, like let's meet. And then all of a sudden you realize that your dollar per hour is like $2 per hour for all the time you're putting into it because <laughs> Seriously. you just don't know yeah. what's going on.
1: Yeah. That's, that's definitely a bit me in the butt in the past, especially when I was younger starting out and he's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it for 200 bucks. And then it turns into like uh, an all day shoot. And then I make the edit and then there's like three or four revisions. That's mm-hmm. another thing too, in the video world that it's like, you have to account for revisions. Usually it's, it's typical to maybe give one free revision. And then from that point on, it's like a hundred dollars an hour, you know, if you want any more, um, that just comes with experience and having contracts in place and things like that. But, um, yeah, great tips there for freelancers, which is probably the majority of our listenership, honestly. So, um, also super fans, definitely again, go check out the book. There's a lot, to it and I actually watched uh, about half of your talk on VidSummit I just bought the tickets this weekend and I'm going through and watching everything how did that how was that experience for VidSummit 2020 VidSummit by the way if people don't know is like kind of the VidCon for like working creators I don't know VidCon is great but um, it's turned into more of a fan uh, hangout with David Dobrik thing versus (laughs) actually like learning stuff so I mean there's definitely some great I don't wanna like poo poo VidCon too much, but Vid Summit is, you know, Daryl Eaves and Mr. Beast and like they're really behind it, pumping a ton of great content. Uh, How was your experience this year with VidSummit 2020? You guys did like a live stream or
0: something? Definitely different for sure. I mean, I've been to VidSummit since 2017. It's been massively impactful for my video work and my YouTube channel. I got to meet Mr. Beast and Mark Rober last year. And then I saw a picture this year of Mr. Beast actually holding my book, Superfans, which like tripped me out um, because he and Daryl were together streaming. And of course, I recorded my keynote earlier and it was filmed in front of nobody but i had to (laughs) pretend like people were there and so that was fun uh, a a really cool interesting experience and i just love how certain people like daryl are pivoting during this time and not just kind of either giving up or pausing but they're like making it work and i think that's what a lot of them just goes back to what we're talking about like what does this make possible you know and now that we're not able to have vid summit in person which when it eventually comes into person again i'd love to meet all of you there and hopefully see you there but we're now able to reach even more people because we're all at home anyway. So it's like now the audience is even bigger from the idea of doing it in this way. So big props to Daryl and Mr. Beast and everybody over there who's who's doing it. It's a great community. Like, honestly, some of the best content for video people that you could ever imagine. Um, and I do agree Summit is is more along the lines of, like, learning and, and, and community versus VidCon, which is, like, screaming teenagers, like, just trying to get a selfie. <laughs> yeah with
1: people (laughs) well with that i mean talking about that in particular david dobrik uh is a name that has been thrown around a lot recently i mean he is kind of the king of youtube at least he was he hasn't posted since COVID, honestly but which is interesting but he still is able to to coast and stuff when we talk about those people on the high high end like mr beast like you mentioned um what are like just from an analysis standpoint what are some of the things that mr beast in particular has like done so well in relation to the super fan idea so he
0: actually does care about his fans we know this he wouldn't have spent an entire week signing t-shirts for his 40 million subscriber sh- extravaganza which i actually did pick up two shirts one for both of my kids because they <laughs> enjoy mr beast but he what was he created what was videos. that he so, signed how many did he sign he signed sixty five thousand t t-shirts And it took a whole week. He needed a guy massaging his back while doing it because it got so intense and his wrist started to hurt. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, but what I love about Mr. Beast is doing, I mean, I mean, he's doing it for fun. He's, he's giving all the money he earns back and he's just growing. He's going all in. He also had a video come out in October that was scheduled five years ago. Did you hear about this video?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I saw it. (laughs) It showed up on my home feed. It was like, yeah, I posted or what, what? what was the title it was like five years ago or future like, me or something
0: yeah something like that so he scheduled the video five years ago to go out in october 2020 and it said basically like hey you know uh, i'm still in high school but you know i want to go on in on video and if, if i'm not over a million subscribers by now i'm gonna be really mad uh, you know, just <laughs> yeah. keep, keep going if you're not there yet and he's like at 40 million already it's just like really yeah. cool just, you know it's very similar to like kaepernick right when he was a kid he wrote a story about how he was going to play for the 49ers when he was an adult. That was the fourth-grade letter that he wrote to himself, and then he did. Um, mm. A lot of other examples of people like that who like make a commitment and, then, and then achieve it. It is very powerful, for sure.
1: If you don't um, have a goal, you're not going to hit it every time. <laughs> so, I mean, it's do you Yeah, dude.
0: If, if, if you're driving in a car and you don't know where you're going, you're eventually going to run out of gas and perhaps even be further than where you eventually wanted to go. Like that's why punching in the address is so important in the navigation menu. But this is life instead of your car. So um, he is very analytical. That's the one thing I learned about Mr. Beast. He really cares about watch time and thumbnails. He's changing the thumbnail like 20 times in the first hour apparently just to kind of see what's getting the most impressions. And what's getting the most click through rate. And it's just like wow. Oh, I'd like, love to even be a though, fly on the wall and just you watch. Know? I mean, he's gone he's done some interviews for different channels online on YouTube, kind of just sharing a lot of that stuff. Um, I think there was one. There's for, a Vid Summit th- talk as well. There's a Vid Summit talk. He he also did a recent interview for Three Hundred Thieves, I think, which is a gaming network or gaming channel. Um to just talk more about why it's working so well for him but yeah the analytics are cool but also like he he is a character and he knows that and he plays it very well and, and he is in him himself but uh, I got to meet him in person he's very humble but Chandler and all these other people who are in his channel like they play a massive role in the growth of the channel too and um, they're just dorks and I, and it's, they're just themselves. And it's really cool. The the also other cool thing about what he's doing, like, yes, there's fun and games and prizes and a lot of money at stake, but like there's emotion in a lot of his videos. You'll see that when he gives away something to somebody, like people are actually very appreciative of it, crying sometimes. Like he really gets to the heartstrings sometimes and putting emotion into your videos, even if it's a silly channel like that, Is very important. A lot of my most popular videos that aren't my big tutorial videos are ones that go deep into story and bring emotion out, one of them being one where when I was robbed, I I filmed the video of my reaction after learning that my place was robbed, my video studio, thousands of dollars in camera equipment was stolen and other personal things from my studio, and... My kids being scared after that, like all this kind of stuff and just being very honest and vulnerable, sharing the security cam footage and people really stepped up and appreciated that and, wow. you know, offered yeah, their I, support. And I did you know. that
1: too. I remember um, a couple months ago I got robbed. I don't know if you saw it, but yeah, I twice. was robbed as well. The hell? Twice. Yeah. So, and I posted those videos as well because I just didn't really know what to do. And um, it was really... I was really surprised with the re- response. People were very kind. Um, you know, there were some douchebags for sure, but that's just that's the nature of it. But yeah, um, yeah it's it's important to just be honest and real with people, um, and that that's part of growing your business too. It's just kind of I don't know. What do you what do you think about the the blend of um, reality with business? Like, I have a friend who's a family vlogger. Uh, And he films pretty much everything in his life. Is there a line for you personally? And I I, I would assume everybody just has to make up whatever line that is. But do you have any thoughts on that? On like when you draw that line for your personal life and business? Because obviously it helps to be more relatable when you share about things going on in your real life. But there also needs to be that separation, I would imagine, for you, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody has a different line, and you need to know where that line is and define it. And I think it's not just about you. It's about you and the other important people that are around you that will be affected by the work that you're doing. For for example, my wife and I, April, she and I have had conversations about what I should and should not be able to post about the kids and our home and, and our life and whatnot. And we have a specific line. And other people, their line is you know way over here where they get a little bit more intimate with the audience as far as their relationship and, and and are very open about that, but at least they're in it together. It's where one doesn't agree with the other and yet still does it anyway. Like when you pair up with somebody, it's a pair now. You are your own entity and you need to know that versus, you know, sometimes creators can get very selfish and 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 and, and I've gotten down that route too and it's been important conversations that have had to be had to know where those lines are and where those boundaries exist and sometimes you don't know where they exist until you cross them and you're like, oh okay now I know and um, you know, the more conversations you can have beforehand the better but I, I do think it's important to somewhat be vulnerable with your audience and that's human beings that's that's life and for me it's like I'd be vulnerable with my friends and the people I care about and so I care about my audience in the same way I'm, I'm in a share those kinds of things um but of course always thinking about safety and and whatnot there's in fact a chapter at the end of the book called the dangers of super fans and you know there's been many cases especially with really 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 popular creators of fans showing up at their house when they're not supposed to and like it's just kind of gets a little ridiculous sometimes and you know i'm grateful nothing's ever happened to me and, and and you know it usually doesn't happen but there's a couple crazies out there like you said and, and douchebags but um, <laughs> You know, just we got to be careful and, you know, use common sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Totally. Um, for for people who are maybe a little older in their life, people that, that have a wife and kids, maybe, you know, mid-40s, um, late-30s kind of age where, you know, we look at Mr. Beast and even McKinnon and stuff like, I mean, he's not a young whippersnapper either, but like, what? how do you... <laughs> he's an old whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean he's not old. He's like my age or whatever, but um, How old are you, Dave? I'm 30. I think he's older than me. He's Bro, probably dude, You're a youngin. How old do you think I am? Uh you're like late 30s. You're like 36, 37, right? Dude, I'm I'm legit 37, like on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah there you go. So you said old people <laughs> I should, like
0: late 30s and 40s so me
1: <laughs> that's not old i just mean older <laughs> than a teenager like a 15 year old mr Beast saying in five years i'm gonna have a million followers and i has got 40 million is there something to that for that age group where it's like i have wondered this myself dobrik you know like you have an audience of millions of teenagers that watch your stuff because you also are a teenager and therefore you're all in this one pool together as this like you're growing up just like uh your your wife with backstreet boys yep. you know you with back to the future like you can't i i feel like as a 30 year old filmmaker i don't know if i could have like i i just have to accept the fact that 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 demographing that audience is a smaller niche than uh mr beast getting 40 million subscribers because he's younger i don't i don't know am i going to i don't want to like you're you're playing a dangerous game
0: you're playing the comparison (laughs) game right and the comparison game is a very dangerous game to play because we're not like anybody else and when we compare our one-year journey to somebody's 10-year journey that's where it gets dangerous when we compare our full life to somebody's highlight reel that's where it gets dangerous it's the comparison game that we have to play is the comparison game of me versus myself yesterday, versus myself last week, versus myself a year ago. How are you personally making improvements and comparing yourself to yourself before? That's, that's the game we need to play. And I think that everybody has their own audience size that's right for them, their own audience type. And when you start looking at others, it's a completely different thing. It's apples and oranges. So we, we, we got to be careful about that. I think it's okay to get inspired for sure. Like I have two students of mine, Joe and Sam. They have built a business to help their mom. Their mom, who's from England, she is like, uh, she does textile art. So she's just an artist. But she has thousands and thousands of people that visit her blog and are now paying monthly to be a part of their program just to get a little bit more access to her. She's like in her 70s. And she's built this incredible online business because she knows what she's good at. She wants to share that with other people who want to get involved. And now there's other people all around the world stitching portraits using thread and needle. (laughs) And I don't even know what, but she's crushing it. And they're, they're, you know, it's like you, you have your own type and they will find you. Your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Like to assume that we could also get 40 million people, it's, it's, it it may be impossible. Like it literally may be impossible and that's okay. But what is possible. That's what we need to focus on. And, and there are people out there who
1: want to follow you for you. Totally. Well, um, I can't end this podcast without talking about some nerdy gear, uh, questions. What are you shooting on currently? And what are kind of your camera brands that you seem to be attracted to as a, as a filmmaker <laughs> as a live streamer for yourself so
0: now we're going to create a line in the sand and like i'm either going to get some love or hate after this right that's basically what we're saying <laughs> i think
1: you're a canon you're a canon guy right i am a canon a guy canon yeah
0: i'm using a, a canon EOS R with a 20 millimeter 2.8 uh wide angle lens for my live streams every morning uh fixed mm. lens and it's great it captures a lot more of my background so you can see those helmets behind me and whatnot um yeah i also film my uh sort of like fun kind of take with me camera is in fact a a sony Z, a zv1 i'm really dude, that enjoying camera is that. amazing dude yeah, it's I so sick well. i mean it's it's so handy and, and it's easy to use i use that for my side camera when i go live and then i'm using a bunch of webcams for my sort of establishing shots here in the office and, nice you know that that's kind of what i'm shooting with and, and of course i got the new iphone 12 pro and that's sick yeah uh, i'm getting
1: mine tomorrow the the pro max yeah. Oh,
0: nice. You got the, the big hands.
1: Well, Pat, I think we're here. It's been about an hour here, so we're at the end of our, our interview. Again, everybody go check out the Smart Passive Income podcast. You have incredible guests on, like Marquez Brownlee that we mentioned. You've had him on. You had uh, Tim Ferriss, I believe, right?
0: Yep. Tim Ferriss a couple times. Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, Matt Divella is just on the show this week, actually. So a lot of cool people.
1: Totally. And, and, a, and a lot of other people as well. So go check it out and then ask Pat 2.0 um, for even more content. And yeah. obviously his YouTube channel where you can watch the income stream. Um, Pat, to kind of close this out, give everybody your favorite moment in Back to the Future series. What is kind of the go-to like scene for you that plays in your head all the time that's oh, like your, just your favorite moment? Dude, okay. So George,
0: who is at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, um, you know, he's already knocked out Biff and Marty's on stage playing the guitar, but he's kind of disappearing. Right. And he's looking at his photograph in his, in his, uh, you know, in his guitar, uh, the Gibson guitar, red and white. And Lorraine's like, aren't you going to kiss me? And George goes, ah, I don't know. And that, Ginger dude comes by and pushes uh, George out of the way and starts dancing with Lorraine. And you hear that sinister laughter. And then you look at Marty, he's disappearing. He's looking at his hands, they're turning into like ghosts. You can see through him. And then all of a sudden, right at the climax of the song, Earth Angel, you see George goes, Excuse me. He pushes the guy down, kisses Lorraine. The chord comes in. Marty is back to life and then everybody's happy and then he plays Johnny yes. Be Good and almost ruins the whole yes. thing but that's awesome. my favorite scene
1: well, uh, you really are a super fan for sure pretty in- incredible <laughs> and by the way I live in Pasadena wasn't some of the movies shot in Pasadena
0: Yeah, there was uh, that. That's you're close to the mall where um, the Twin Pines or the Lone Pine Mall, depending on which timeline you're in, Uh uh, is is up near you.
1: All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pat Pat Flynn, for being on, and uh, we'll have to have you on another time soon. Sure. Thanks again, Pat, for being on the Golden Era Podcast. Thanks, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Pat Flynn. Pat, thank you again for being on the show. It was a real honor for me. I'm sure after listening to this conversation, you want to check out some of Pat's incredible content, maybe pick up one of his books. We've linked everything down in the show notes below. His website, his social media accounts, and even an Amazon link to the book, Superfans. I hope you guys are super fans of the Golden Hour Podcast. I know I am a super fan of making it. If you guys listened all the way to the end of this podcast, you clearly are a super fan of the Golden Hour Podcast. And I want to start including some of your messages on the show here at the end. So if there's an episode or if there's something that you've learned or garnered from the Golden Hour Podcast, will you please reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at Dave Mays and give me a story about this podcast or something that's going on? in your life that you would like us to highlight at the end of the show. I think that could be a fun way to include you guys in the Golden Hour Podcast. Sometimes it just feels like myself talking into a microphone, into the void of nothingness, in my case, my bedroom closet. And having some sort of conversation with you guys would mean a lot to me, and I hope that it would mean a lot to you as well. So please send me a message at Dave Mays, either on Twitter or Instagram, and I will pick one and share it on Instagram the next episode of the golden hour podcast all right well anyways here we are at the end thank you again for listening all the way to the end check out the show notes in the links down below once again this is the golden hour podcast brought to you by the polar pro studio i'm your host dave mays and we'll see you next week